0: All right. Welcome everybody. We're going to get started. All of you watching us at home, we're very grateful to uh, have you tune in. And uh, just by way of understanding, we have 700 people watching us online every week. So that's a, uh, you guys should clap for that. I'm serious. You guys should seriously clap. And you at home, we you should clap for that. That's amazing. That's really, really amazing. So we're super grateful. We're doing a series on dreams and so we're doing this in two parts. We're doing the natural side of dreams and the supernatural side of dreams. And during uh, Sunday morning, we're going to be doing uh, the natural side. And in Sunday afternoon, this afternoon at 3.30, we're doing a dream class. So we did it last week. We're going to do it again this week, uh, the second part. So if you're interested in understanding the dreams that you dream while you're sleeping, uh, that's going to happen this afternoon. And so you were created to dreams. And the whole, the whole point of this, this series is to get you moving. Okay, because COVID's like been this whole thing where everybody's been shut down and and no one really knows how to get moving again. And it's kind of like, what do we do? How do we go about this? And one of the ways it's going to get you moving is through dreams. I want you to say this. I was created for dreams. Dreams are found throughout the Bible. You have 21 sleeping dreams or uh, sort of the dream that comes out of the sleeping state and you have 130 visions in the scripture. And so from Genesis to Revelation, you have dreams and visions. You understand that? That's a lot. And so they're a part of every part they're a part of everything that God did. They're a part of what he did in the Old Testament and they're a part of what he's done in the New Testament. So I want to talk to you about this. This just gives you an understanding. In the Greek, so if you want to understand anything in the scripture, the Bible was written in Koine Greek. So it was translated from Koine Greek into English, and so we have a translation that begun, even the Old Testament, the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, and so the primary language of understanding for the scripture is Greek, so anytime you hear a teacher like myself that falls back to the Greek, it's because we're trying to find a greater understanding to the English, English is very limited, I don't know if you're aware of that. Anybody who's ever looked at languages, right? So it's just it's a very limited language, and the Greek is a very broad language and has very it's very articulate and very detailed, even more so than Hebrew. And so in the Greek, the word for sleep is imperion. So I don't like to speak Greek by myself, so you guys can all say it with me. Imperion. Right. And there is a state within sleep. It's actually called an altered state that it has another word attached to it, and it's the state of dreaming. So when you sleep, it's imperion. And then there's an altered state or another state that happens within, the dr- within sleep, and it's called, say this with me. I'm gonna, this is going to tongue twister. It's pretty easy, but I'm going to see if I can say it. You're going to say it too. Imperionosis. Yes. Imperionosis is the state of dreaming. So it's a state within a state. Then we have this understanding of vision. So we all have sight, right? We can all see. We're all looking around the room. We can, we can see things. The Greek word for that is, ready? Horao. Right. And there's an ability that to see while seeing. Does anybody know what that, anybody know what I'm talking about? You have an ability to see while seeing or the, literally see while gazing. So we call it Daydreaming. Right? That would be something that you can do. In prophetic, it's something to see beyond the sight. So that's, it's, it, um, the prophets in the Old Testament were called seers. In other words, they saw. Right? Jo- the Lord would ask the prophet, what do you see? And so it's a bi- very big part of it. And so the, the, the ability to see while gazing is called horasis. So say it with me. horasis. Right? You guys are speaking Greek this morning. Come on. Right? You're speaking biblical Greek. So it's the altered state of seeing while seeing. It's important to understand this because of something we vilified dreams and visions in the church. I mean, we vilified it. The world doesn't have any problem dreaming and visions, with the church, oh my gosh. Well, well hold on there, pastor. You know, we we, we don't we don't want to we don't want to, you know, we don't want to get into vain imaginations. You know, we want to get into that. Listen, your imagination is a gift. It's given to you. So when you dream, God is speaking within the subconscious. When you see or when you harass, the Horasis, the state of Horasis is him showing you within the realm of the imagination. And so he speaks your subconscious. That's why when you're when he's when you're dreaming and you're seeing these things in your sleep, it's because he's communicating with you through your subconscious. That's one of the things that's going on when you're seeing while seeing that, that he's speaking to you through your imagination. Your imagination is a gift. Your imagination is limitless. It gives you the only place where you can meet a limitless God. The only only place you can meet a God that has no limits is within your imagination. In your imagination, you can see and dream the impossible, right? We've vilified this as Christians. And one of the things when we vilify that, and we vilify the power to see that God has given us, it's given to you. The reason that you can do it is because you're created to do it. It doesn't mean you understand it. It doesn't mean you, you, you know what you're doing, per se. But nonetheless, it's like all gifts, it's given to you. And so we have this God speaking to us in the realm of our subconscious. God speaks to us in the realm of our imagination. There's two types of dreams. Jeremiah 23, 28 says, The prophet who has a dream, let him tell it. And he who has my word, let him speak it faithfully. For what is the chaff to the wheat? What is he saying here? The chaff and the wheat analogy is that God is saying that this dream and the prophetic word are part of the same whole. That's the understanding. So the dream and the prophetic word are part of the same whole. God speaks through dreams. Job thirty three fourteen 14 says this. Ready? I speak to you in one way and then in another, yet you don't perceive it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God is saying, I'm trying to communicate to you. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to get some understanding, some reasoning to you. And yet you don't understand it. And then he says, in a dream or a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon people, upon man, while sleeping and slumbering upon their beds, then I open their ears and I seal instruction. So if you want to know how this works, and we're going to get into more along the lines of visions, which is dreams, like when you're wide awake, sort of daydreams today. But like the supernatural side of dreams is when God is speaking through the subconscious. And most people devalue it because they don't, understand, they don't know how to understand it. They have no, they have no, no, no context for it. And we're, you know, woefully underdeveloped in that, in that area. But God has created it to happen. So I want you to say this. Visions are directional. Dreams are instructional. In other words, when you have a vision or you daydream, however you want to relate it, it's dreaming while wide awake, that is a direction. It shows you a direction for your life or a direction, a possibility. When you dream while you're sleeping, most of the time that's instructional. And God is speaking in a narrative form using types and shadows of things that we can relate to, yet we don't understand. That's what happens when you're sleeping. You're sleeping and you have a dream and it's almost always a narrative, isn't it? It's a story. I'm driving in a car. All of a sudden I was on the top of the house. Then I was down in the basement and all of a sudden I'm swimming in a pool. It's like there's this crazy storyline that's going on there. And there's all of this imagery that's happening within the story. There's numbers, there's colors, there's all these crazy things that are happening. That's God communicating with us. And it's almost always instructional. So I'm not gonna get too heavy into that because I really want to jump off on that, but I know that's for later. But that that's a big part of our lives. That's something that God has given to us to instruct us, and He's given it to us, and, and He you know, this is who Jesus is He has so much faith in you, He has more faith in you than you could ever possibly imagine. He believes that if He tells you something, you'll be able to discern it. He does. He really believes that if he gives you something and he tells you something, love believes all things. He says, if I give Carmen a dream and I try to instruct her, if I'm going to instruct her in a dream, she's going to figure it out. And then we don't. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll give her another dream. She'll figure that one out. Or give her another one. She'll figure that one out. You know, God has such faith in us. He actually believes that we can do the things that he asks us to do. He, he has more faith in, in, in us than we ever do in ourselves. And it's not because of us individually. It's because of the spirit that is within us. It has nothing to do with human ability. It has to do with the, the Holy Spirit that's been imparted to us. So if you can understand that when your life is without direction, it's because you have no vision. Because you have no vision. We do a thing here. a guy. He's telling me he's struggling with a bunch of stuff. He's like, look, I, I, can't, I can't figure out what, what's going on with me. I can't figure out why it's happening and what's happening with my life and, and why these things keep occurring. And I said, ask the Lord for dreams. He said, I read the Bible, I pray, I ask for an answer, I don't get the answer. I said, Tell, give him permission to speak to you in a dream. So just just pray, say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to me in reference to this matter in a dream. Within a week, the guy's back to me with two crazy dreams, right? And I walked him through the dreams. I told him what God was showing him and, and different things like that. And it was a completely, it was a revelatory thing to him. It was, some, it was an answer that he couldn't get through natural means. But if you understand that dreams are instructional, God will instruct you in dreams if you're willing to steward them. Most of us are all freaked out about dreams because we don't understand them. But that's, again, another story. What I want you to understand is that you've been created with the capacity to do it. It's been given to you. right? Acts chapter 2, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. All believers can prophesy. All believers can prophesy. And if you don't believe that, then you should come to one of our classes. You should come to school of the prophetic. You should come to Fire Starters, and you will quickly understand. It doesn't mean you understand what you're doing or even know what you're doing, but you have the capacity to do it. It's the, one of the first things that Jesus gave to the church. Acts chapter two. As soon as the Holy Spirit came, they start speaking in tongues, right? And he, and, he, and the proclamation is given over the church. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see. Your young men will see dream. Will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Right out of the rip, God is saying he's releasing and activating the prophetic spirit within the church. And he's activating, affirming, and releasing dreams and visions. They're keys to our life. We are a supernatural people that live our lives through natural means. And we wonder why we're no different. We're salt without savor. We, we, we should be people who, who move through things. It's not that things don't come against us; it's that we're overcomers. When the world sinks, we rise. Right? That's what the Bible says. When darkness, deep darkness, has covered the earth, I think it's Isaiah 60. But arise, shine, for the light is for the Lord is the, the light is a resin upon you. You know, we're supposed to shine in darkness. We're cities on a hill, and people go, "Well, how do we do that?" We think it's through our natural deeds. This is where the church has become the natural church, particularly in America. We operate through natural means it's not about natural means it's supernatural we have supernatural abilities that are to be partnered with natural means it's not that we don't feel to feed the poor or feed the hungry but we heal the sick as well and somebody said well we need to build hospitals no we need to lay hands on the sick it's demonstration in power so paul said i came to you not with not with tinkling words and eloquence of speech but i came to you with demonstration in power there's actually a word in Corinthians where Paul's talking to that church, and he says these super apostles, because these men of God were whisking into the church, I'm the super apostle, Paul means nothing, listen to how I talk, listen to how I move. Paul called them super apostles. You guys listen to super apostles. And he says, but let me tell you something, let them demonstrate power. Now, so that was literally Paul talking to this church, saying if they cannot demonstrate power, you should not be listening to them. It's the evidence of power that needs to be demonstrated within the church. The evidence of power. What does that mean? Prophetic, right? Priestly ministry and kingdom, the exercise of dominion, miracles, healing of the sick, raising of the dead. All of those things. Say, have you ever raised the dead? I always tell people, no, but I've tried. Have you? I have legitimately tried. And I'm going to keep on trying. We don't can't raise the dead here. I I was like asking a couple times. I've been to funerals and they tell me that the person hasn't been embalmed. I'm like, what? They're not embalmed. That means the blood's still in them. The Bible says the life is in the blood. Okay. Well, that started freaking out, right? We can't raise the dead in the West because we pump you with formaldehyde in 24 hours. Your blood's out of your body and you got chemicals in you. We remove your organs through autopsy. Good luck. It's over, right? It's one of the reasons. If I'm around a funeral and that person hasn't been embalmed, I'm going for it. (laughs) I'm going for it. I'm it's gonna happen. Just get just it's I just tell myself it's only a matter of time. And when you start exercising spiritual power and you start stepping into spiritual things, what happens is it's a learning experience. You start learning, you start developing. We're so afraid of making mistakes. Who cares? Who cares? Doesn't matter if we make mistakes. Our goal is to press into this kingdom and manifest it for his glory. The world doesn't need another world, uh, another word. We're in the information age. You want information? Turn on your phone. We're inundated with information. This generation needs demonstration and power. I'm telling you. That's what will cause attention. Then at least they'll get the, that will get the attention and then the word can be spoken. We see miracles here all the time. We're not batting a thousand. We're about 400, 450. Well most churches, bad zero. Zero. They haven't seen a miracle in 50 years. We see a miracle in it. Every time we press into it, we see it, manifested. Every single time, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Every single time, something happens. We're called to this. You're called to be a dreamers and visionaries. It's part of the supernatural aspect of your faith. I have a word. I feel like God was telling me to share it this morning. I was kind of leaning to get away from it, but I feel like he's leaning me into it now. But I want you to say this with me, right? Very common thing we say here at Elevate. I want you to say this, even at home. I want you to say, the devil is not anti-Jesus. Leave that alone. I want you to say this. The devil is anti-Christ. That's right. What does the word Christ mean? Christ is the anointing. Christ is the power. The devil is not resisting the name of Jesus. He doesn't have a problem with that. He doesn't have a problem with the name of Jesus. He has a problem with the demonstration of power. He has a problem with the anointing. He has a problem with that. That's what he resists. The church actually partners with the spirit of Antichrist when we stand up and we deny power. (laughs) When you deny the prophetic, you deny power, you deny healing, and our churches do it wholesale. Seven out of ten American churches don't believe in healing. I'm going to say that right to the camera. Seven out of ten American churches don't believe in healing. Seven out of ten American churches believe that healing died with the apostles. Seven out of ten. I'll say it again. Seven out of ten American churches don't believe in power. Crickets, it's true. And out of that 30%, there's a marginal, there's, there's, there's a, out of that 30%, there are churches that believe in miracles but never see them. There are churches that believe in power but never see it. And the reason that they don't is they don't create a culture for it. Or their learning context is completely wrong. You want to learn something from Jesus? I teach you this. You know nothing. You know nothing. I don't care what Martin Luther told you. I don't care what John Wesley told you. You want to learn something from Jesus? You come to him as a child. You know nothing. No presumptions, no assumptions. You sit at his feet. You assume nothing. And you let him instruct you. If you feel like you come with a lot of learning, then let him use the learning that you have, but you don't present that learning to him. You put it off on the side. You know nothing. And then you'll begin to learn. And then you'll begin to grow. So our context is wrong. Our learning environments are wrong. These are the things that we we end up operating with. Dreams and visions. Everybody thinks they have an answer, but listen. I'm telling you, this is the key to your life. Instructional dreams, instructional visions. You were created on purpose with a purpose. This is what this is what a vision is for your life. A daydream for your life is based on the purpose that you were created for. Ephesians two ten says, "We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him." What's that tell you? You're created in Christ for a destiny. You are, you are God's workmanship. You are the very thing that God is working on in Christ. So Jesus is working on you. Aren't you glad? You are His workmanship. And what is He working on? He's working. God's whole goal is to bring you into the good works that have been prepared for you before you were ever born. There's a destiny for your life. People go, well, why doesn't it happen? Because you've got to cooperate with the process. You understand? Eh? You have to cooperate with the process. You're going to have if a doctor's going to help you, you got to you got to cooperate with the process, don't you? Right? If anybody that's going to help you, you have to cooperate. If God helps those that help themselves. No, that's not the word, that's not how it works. Jesus will do nothing without you can do nothing without him and he will not do anything except he does it with you. That's the truth. You can't do marriage without him. Good luck. You can't do life without him. He will do nothing unless he's asked or invited. again, God doesn't do it by default. We have this idea that says, well, if it's God's will, he's going to do it. Who told you that? No, seriously, who told you that? God's will that no one should perish, but all come to Christ. Is everybody going to come to Christ? No, but that's God's will. Is it not? Did he not declare that to be his will? Yet we know that that isn't going to happen. The whole world is not going to come to Christ, even though it's the will of God that that happens. There has to be a partnership along the way. He's not going to do things for you by default. Your destiny is given to you, but you must partner with it. Well, God told me and, you know, and it's just going to happen. I've been waiting 30 years for that vision to come to pass. Have you done anything with it? Nope, not a thing. But brother, I'm just waiting for that dream to come to pass. <laughs> Tell the story of a guy who said he's going to write books. I was in the church. I was, I, I, the second time I was there, I heard the same guy give the same testimony. God has called me in one of those testimonies with a trembling voice to write four books. God has called me to write four books, and he. Get, and he, I heard him do it twice. The second time I was there, I walked up to him. I said, "How's the books coming?" He's like, "I'm just waiting on the Lord." I go, "Do you got a chapter? Do you got a title? Did you buy paper? You know, do you got a pen? You know what I mean?" I mean people act like Jesus is going to go here's your four books and he's going to drop the manuscript on the on the counter. I mean it requires something of you. It that's again the order of creation was through partnership. Man was created go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature and I will be what? With you. You understand that? I will partner with you. That's the idea. Everything is done in partnership. You're created on purpose with a purpose. You have a destiny. Destiny of all mankind is to give their life to Christ. That is the greatest, that is the wisest decision you could ever ever make. I mean, we look at all of these icons within the culture and we think, oh, that guy's smart, that guy's wise, that guy's smart. You know how the Bible attributes wisdom? Those who give their life to Jesus. And those who don't are absolute fools. Those who build their house on the rock, I will liken to a wise man. That the height of wisdom... Is that, giving your life to Christ. The height of foolishness. I don't care how many PhDs you have. You're a fool if you don't give your life to Christ. Heaven equates you as a fool. Men may esteem you, but you are lost. You are lost without Jesus. You must be born again. You must. You give your life to Christ. And in giving your life to Christ, this is where a lot of Christians are. They've given their life to Christ, but they've never discovered their purpose. Or then they do have a purpose. They say, hey, God's called me to write books. But they never align their lives with the purpose. You have to receive the purpose, the direction, the idea where God is calling you or what he's directing you into during that time, this season, this age, this stage of your life. And then you have to align your life with it. You have to begin to prioritize things that relate to that vision. Dreams and visions are time bound, right? You have to pursue your vision with faith, with perseverance, with preparation and courage. All of those things are necessary. You're going to make a cake. That's great. We need ingredients. You're going to make something special. We need ingredients. Dreams and visions for your life are time-bound. Dreams and visions for your life are seasonal. Dreams and visions of your life relate to your age, your stage, your maturity, and your faithfulness. That's what they relate to. Dreams and visions are time-bound. Some of you had a dream when you were 21 years old and you're 45 now. The play's over, right? You can't go back to that. It's over. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have a dream for you in this stage of your life. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have an age for you in this. It's something for this age of your life. That's how he works. What happens is we spend so much of our time lamenting what we've lost. Oh, God told me to do that when I was 21. Oh, I've just wasted four years, 20 years, whatever. It's not about what you've lost. It's what you've gained, You've gained the understanding that you let something pass. Now, this time, maybe you're going to be a little more faithful, a little more eager, a little more determined to not let that happen again. That's the goal. Don't lament it. Come on. That's right. Come on. <laughs> there's an age. There's a stage. There's a season to your, to, your, to your thing. It's also based on maturity. God's, listen, I don't care what age you are today. God's got a vision for you. I don't care what stage of life you are today, God's got a vision for you. He has a vision for you. You say, I've messed up too many times. He can never use me. Who told you that? Seriously, who told you? Who told you God could never use you again? Did Jesus tell you? Is there a scripture from the Lord that says, I could never use you again? You completely failed. <laughs> is there one? <laughs> there is no one. So who's telling you that you can't go on? Who's telling you you can't go again? Who's telling you that he doesn't have a vision for you? Who's telling you that? It's based on your maturity. Listen, God's not going to give you a vision or a dream for your life that does not relate to the spiritual maturity that you have. He's going to call you to something that's in proportion to the level of maturity you have grown unto and the level of maturity you have demonstrated. It's called kavod. That's why God is always working on your character. The word glory is kavod, and it relates to our character. So God wants to. when God gives you a dream or a vision, he's putting glory on your life. That's what he's doing. And glory has weight. And weight requires support. And so if God puts weight upon your life, but that you have failed to develop yourselves with maturity, consistency, courage, all of the attributes that are necessary to support weight, if he gives you that vision and dream, it will cause you to collapse. And so, what God is— that's why He gives you things in proportion to your maturity. If you want more than mature, you say, "I don't know where I need to mature." Why don't you ask Him? I'll tell you the—I'll tell you the basics. This is the baseline of all maturity, and we're all going to say it together. Radical five. This is elevates baseline, and the, not our ele- our baseline, but the Lord, the Kingdom's baseline. Just say it. This is the baseline of spiritual maturity. Read your Bible, right? Pray commit and connect to church, financially give, and live on mission. Live to reveal Christ to the world. Let your life reveal Christ. To the that is the baseline of all Christian maturity. If you do not have those five principles operating in your life, you are not mature. You're not. All maturity comes from that. That's called remedial math. Everything has a standard. You guys, many of you are in fields where you operate off of a standard. You have to be licensed. You have to meet requirements. You have to meet standards. There's minimum standards for you to access the field that you're in. It's the same thing with a kingdom. How, who would, who would, why would you think that Jesus doesn't have a minimum standard of, of discipleship? We think somebody who reads their Bibles, prays, commits and connects to church, financially gives and lives on mission, we think those are stellar. They're not stellar Christians. Those are beginning Christians. Those are guys who've just made it out of preschool. Right? If you're not operating in those things, you're asking God for something. And what he is going to do is he's going to point you right back to the beginning. That's what he's going to do over and over again. I ask God, and he doesn't do it because you're not doing the first things. You're not doing the former things. You're not doing the things that are going to sustain you. Once you start walking in your dream, you start walking out a dream. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. You're going to need the word of God. You're going to need to know how to pray. You're gonna need a Christian supportive community around you. You're gonna you're gonna to need to have the river of finances flowing, and you're gonna need the peace and the glory of God that comes through the witness that Jesus wants to bring to the world. You're gonna need all of that. And so without those things functioning in your life, the dream cannot manifest. It's not that the Lord doesn't want to give you the dream. If he showed you the dream, he wants to give it to you. The problem, I want you to say this with me: the problem is always on my side of the equation. The problem is never the Lord's. The problem is yours. Our pride is such that we don't like to look at our dysfunctions. That's our human pride. Or we believe that if God shows us something about ourselves, he's doing it to shame us. He's not an earthly father. He's not an earthly person. When God is showing you something about yourself, it's because he wants to show you what the hindrance is to your life. It makes no difference to him whether you change or not. He wants you to, but he'll leave you the same. Read the Bible. He left many people the same. He didn't labor with them. He was gonna, we talked about Jacob last week. He was going to leave Jacob the same. Like It's fine, Jacob. You don't want to change? I'm out. He'll leave you the same. He's not going to labor and contend with you in reasons and areas of your life that you don't want. If you, He wants you to change, but these are the very things that Jacob's, Jacob's willingness to run and his desire to run away from his problems and his past and all of the issues, his lack of confrontation, his fear, his un- lack of understanding about who he was, his lack of understanding about who God was, those were the barriers to his destiny. He had a destiny on his life, and God was bringing him into close contact with the barriers that were keeping him from his destiny. That's what the Lord is doing. God wants to give you the dream. God's got a dream for you no matter what stage you're in. That's good news. Happy day. Happy day. Right? Say, I'm 60. P.T. Barnum started the circus at 60. Ray Kroc started McDonald's at 60. I'm serious. I don't care to give you. There's no there's no there's no excuses here. We've all heard of McDonald's. The brother was 60 years old when he started it. Kentucky Fried Chicken, same thing. (laughs) He's in his 60s. P.T. Barnum. Out of luck, down on his luck, didn't know where to go, lost so much, failed all the time. 60 years old. We watched the movie P.T. Barnum. I told my wife, I said, P.T. Barnum wasn't that young and wasn't that handsome. I don't know if you all saw the movie or not. (laughs) Like If you look at pictures of P.T. Barnum, he didn't look like that. (laughs) Nonetheless, why do you need a dream? You were created for it. That's why. You're created for a dream. The way you come alive is when you, when you operate according to your creation. And why we come alive is we are created by Him. We are created for Him. We are created to draw from His life and to give our lives to Him. That's where harmony comes. It doesn't come through religion. Life does not come through religion. Life comes through the Spirit. Life comes through relationship. Life comes through encounter. Life comes through experience. Life comes through dreams and visions. Why do people feel so alive when they dream? And they, and they when people have dreams and they have visions, they get excited, don't they? Right? right? Except we're Christians. We don't, we don't do that well. We don't, we don't get excited about nothing, man. We just... No, 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 no. I follow Jesus, Kevin. My dreams are dead. That's it. <laughs> if you follow Jesus, you should be alive with dreams. You should be alive with possibilities. You serve the creator of all the universe. You don't have a creative idea. Jesus has got plenty of them. And he's going to look at you and go, we could do this. Or we could do this. Or how about that? Why don't we do this? You start partnering with the Lord and he's going to start showing you things. Great and mighty things that you know not of. He's always got a good idea for you. Not based upon you, just because he loves you. For no particular reason at all. He loves you for no particular, not because of anything. He just loves you. Is that crazy? It's hard for us to understand. You just love me for no reason at all? Yep, yeah, that's it, Kevin. I just love you for no reason at all. And that love is to compel us back to Him. So you're created for dreams. Without a dream, you're going to waste away. Number two, the Bible says where there is no vision, where there is no God-inspired revelation, the people perish. In the Greek, it says they're without restraint or without order. In other words, your life is all over the map. You're just going in all these different directions. Because you have no dream, you have no vision. People waste away. They get hopeless. They get discouraged. A dream directs your life, number three. Dream sets an anchor point. I pray that, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that you will be flooded. Come on. Just say this. Jesus, flood me with revelation so that I can see some of the things of the future that you have called me to share in. That's a paraphrase chapter 1. I pray that you would be flooded with revelation and understanding of the things that God has made for you. Don't you want that? All right? dream, a dream directs your life. It, uh, there's a, a nautical... We have GPS now, so... You know, anybody remember Rand McNally maps? Anybody remember those things? Oh, yeah, come on. Hello. Right? Hello. Yeah. Back in the day. Young people are like, what's that? Rand McNally. (laughs) You had to have a map of all the roads, and then if you went into a new city, then you had to go to the gas station and get another map so that you could find all the streets. (laughs) What? Navigators used to use something called a sextant And what a sextant was Is it would navigate between two points They would have a point on the horizon And they would measure it in relationship to the sun And they would be able to tell themselves Where they were at any point in time Without that instrument A ship would be lost at sea And so But the sextant required two things It required the anchor point It required a a place on the horizon And it required the relationship to the sun Or to the light Do you get that? interesting how god designed that navigation of your life is requiring an anchor point something that is that that is set set by you set for you set by the lord whatever however you want to relate it but there's an anchor point a vision a purpose that's set for you on the horizon and you navigate that through the relationship that you have with the sun dreams direct your life that's right you never be lost. Most, people, most Christians are lost because they don't apply that very principle. Put an anchor point in front of you. You have to have a dream or a vision for your family, a dream and a vision for your faith, a dream and a vision for your finances, a dream and a, a, a vision for your relationships, your external relationships, and a dream and a vision for your future. Those are the five key areas of your life. There are five key areas of your life. And those five areas, everything else is management. Those areas are the dominant places in your life and everything else you manage. And so you have to have a dream and a vision that relates to those key areas, and you'll have an anchor point. You'll be able to navigate forward. So a dream directs your life, a dream defines you. Say this with me there are no great people, people. only great dreams. Show me a great person. They're not known for the person they are, they're known for the dream that they had or the dream that they attempted no such thing as dream of great people. We're all equal. The thing that defines greatness is those who pursue significant dreams. Majority of your life is out of control. Do you know that? Out of your control. We don't care. We can't determine where we're born. We don't get to pick our parents and the parents. You don't get to pick your kids. Hello. Can I get a witness there? It's true. (laughs) We don't get to, we don't get to pick our starting point economically. We don't get to pick our starting point socially. We don't get that. We, there's so much of our life that we are born with that is just so random that we have no power over. But what you do have power over is you have power over your choices. You have 100% power over your choices. You can choose to dream. You can choose faith. You can choose to believe. Your life will be the sum total of your choices. And if you know that or not, your life is the sum total of your choices. What you did, what you didn't do what you chose to allow to defeat you, what you, when you chose to quit, that goes on and on. You can choose to dream. You can choose faith. You can choose to have courage. You can choose to not quit. That's a choice. Nobody makes you quit. Who told you to quit? You can choose to stay the same. <laughs> you can choose to be influenced by your peers or you can choose to be influenced by God. You can choose to let go of a painful past and you can choose to pursue a hopeful future. The choice is yours. You have power over your choices. When an ordinary person pursues an extraordinary dream, that person becomes extraordinary. That's what makes us extraordinary. So maybe you're not extraordinary in the annals of all of time and history. What if you were extraordinary in your family? What if you were extraordinary in your local marketplace? What if you were extraordinary in, you know, in the neighborhood? What if you were extraordinary? You know, it's, it's all of, it's, it's all relative. We tend to think of extraordinary like I've got to, you know, go to Washington and do the Martin Luther, I have a dream speech or something like that. That's how we relate. Extraordinary. You can be extraordinary in your family. Do you know that? Aren't there people in your family that you, that people talk about? Ancestors talk about or people, somebody that's a major influencer in your home? Are there people in your workplace that are major influences? Are there people in the you know just any any arena like that? Extraordinary people pursuing extraordinary dreams become extraordinary. Dreams cause you to grow. I want you to say this: No dream is possible at the time it is given. No dream is possible at the time it's given. You dream a dream and it's beyond you, right? That's why people never stop. They never start because the dream is beyond you. Well, of course it is. Of course it's beyond you because Jesus is daring you to believe him and daring you to go with him into a future. He's daring you. He's trying to stir your faith to believe for something that's impossible. It's not possible. No dream is possible. Philippians says, I know that I'm not yet what God wants me to be. I haven't reached the goal, but I keep moving forward towards the goal. That God has set before me because Christ has made this for me and has saved me for this. I know I haven't reached my goal, but there's something I always do. Everybody say it. Forget the past. strain for the future. That's right. I choose to keep my eyes focused on the goal. That one day that I may win the prize, which is God has called me to receive through Christ. All of you who are spiritually minded should think the same. We won't talk about maturity. Maturity is pursuing a vision. Maturity is pursuing a goal. Maturity is pursuing a dream. None of us are there yet. You have to forget your past. Right? Say this with me. I'm to learn from my past, not live in it. Right? It's over. We press. We intentionally... Go into the future. I talked to people who have had extraordinarily painful situations. Many of you in the room are the same way. And that painful situation could cause your life to stop. And I had a a woman who was very entrepreneurial. She had nothing. And she just was coming out of tremendous trauma and loss in her life. And she had nothing. She had nowhere to go except forward. And she said she told the Lord, Lord, I'm afraid. And the Lord said, then do it afraid. Gave her a vision for her life. He gave her a future, very limited means, but he gave her something. Seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God will give you something. He'll give you something, even if it's in a small form. He'll call you to something high, and then he'll give you something in the now. He'll give you something to do, he'll give you a direction, he'll give you an instruction. And she received an instruction, and she was had been so traumatized from her past that she was afraid to even do anything. And she was telling the Lord, I can't do this, I'm afraid. And she said the Lord spoke to her in prayer and said, Then do it while you're afraid. <laughs> Say this with me. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. That's right. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. You want something more than you want your life. You want something more than you want to live. It not, has nothing to do with not being afraid. Jesus was afraid in the garden. <gasps> Father, if he trembled, sweat, blood, stress, strain. Why? Because he, every human emotion he experienced, he went through the intrepidation of where he was going. He wasn't afraid of the crucifixion. He was afraid of the punishment that was laid upon him. He didn't fear the ones that destroyed the body. That wasn't what he was afraid of. He, but the judgment of the world was going to be laid upon him, and he had to endure that from the third hour to the sixth hour. So he had to have three, three hours of where the judgment of God was laid upon him. And he's, that's why he talked about the cup. If it's your will, take this cup from me. What's the cup? The cup of the Lord. The Bible refers to the cup of the, the Lord's wrath or the Lord's judgment. So the cup is always related to in those terms. And so Jesus wasn't trembling over the cross. He was trembling over what was going to happen. But he still felt human emotion. And he did it afraid. Did you know that? So you can do it afraid. Not a big deal. Dreams create Discipline. Corinthians says this, I run the race and I don't punch the air. I fight to win. Okay? Dreams create a goal. They create a discipline. They give you something to aim at. Most people spend their lives just a lot of motion, but not a lot of, uh, not a lot of accomplishment. God's not called you to be busy. He's called you to be effective. Yeah? He's not even called you to be cool. Pastors <laughs> and churches, we're all trying to be cool. Hey, I'm all in. Let's be cool. But if one's got to change, which whatever, God's not called us to be cool. He's called us to be effective. And if you can be effective and cool, that's fine. But I will not, I don't want to compromise effectiveness for the sake of cool, right? We're called to be effective. That's the number one calling upon our lives is that we produce fruit, that we bear fruit. Herein is my father's glorified that your life produces fruit. What, what a dream does is it learns, this is what a dream does. So when Paul's saying I'm beating the air and I'm, I'm, I'm punching at something, I don't want to punch at something empty. When you have a dream, a vision, a direction, a goal, let's just put it in your household. You have a dream, a direction, and a goal, then you learn what you can say no to. And you learn what you say yes to. So if your dream, your vision, and your goal is I'm going to get my master's, I'm going to get Ph.D., I don't know, let's just put it in that context. You're going to say no to everything else, and you're going to say yes to the things that make it happen. You're going to say no to Netflix, and you're going to say yes to the thing that brings you closer to the goal that you have. If your goal is to have a meaningful, loving relationship with your wife, you're going to say no to the things that interfere with that, and you're going to say yes to the things that that, that, that build that. You understand? It creates this discipline in your life. It actually, it teaches you what to say no to. And it teaches you what to say yes to. That's why we end up saying yes to all kinds of stupid things. Right? And then we say no to things that actually might help us. Dreams strengthen your faith. The Bible says, according to your faith, so be it unto you. A dream cannot be accomplished alone. So how does a dream strengthen your faith? A dream will bring you right up to your limitation. So what does God expect for you when you have a dream? He expects you to do everything that you can, and you are to push as far as you can up to the barrier. When you're when you in front of a barrier, you're in front of an obstacle, you're in front of something that's greater than you, that's when He comes in. That's where the partnership happens. So in other words, having done all stand, right? So in other words, if there are certain things, like, oh, Lord's given me a vision to get my PhD, right? So I'm just waiting on Jesus. Well, have you researched any schools? Have you applied for any schools what have you done to further that process i've applied to 10 schools and now i have to wait so now what are you doing you're going to exercise faith you understand all of these things these dreams and visions relate to faith it causes you to grow it causes your faith to grow and that's really important it pushes you to the place of limitation and causes you to believe for the impossible that's just what jesus wants i tell you guys a story. When I first got saved, I'd come up to this pastor, and I was like, this old guy, guy who started the church, right? Nobody wanted to talk to him anymore because he was in his 70s. The young hot thing was up there teaching, you know, boom, 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 rock star, right? Kind of like us, skinny jeans and smoke machines, right? So all that stuff was going on. Nobody ever talked to old pastor. He'd just stand along the wall. Everybody would be over there wanting to talk to the new guy. And I'd always go up to the old guy and tell him, tell him things, right? Ask him things. And one of the things I told him, I said, I just feel so bad. Oh, I feel so bad. I keep needing Jesus. I keep having to need him. I can't do anything for myself. And he told me that's where he wants you. He wants you in a position of reliance. He wants you in a position where you're doing everything, you're reaching your limitation, and then you're drawing on him for strength. What happens is you get stronger. His strength is perfected where? In your weakness. How is his strength even come into your weakness if you never move into your weakness? You push to the point where you can go no further, and then you draw on him from strength, for strength, and you get stronger. Then you're able to go further. Then you draw on him for strength, and you're able to go further. This is how this faith operates. This is how this kingdom operates. Dreams cannot be accomplished alone. It causes you to push for the impossible. I want you to say this. This is important. Grace, Grace is in the eye of the Lord. This is a common scripture, right? Okay? Grace is in the eye of the Lord. If if I found grace in your eyes, if I found favor in your eyes, over and over again. People want to know, they want God's blessing. They want God to do something in their life that's meaningful, that's spiritual, that's supernatural, that's miraculous. Then if you want that, then you have to do and be where the Lord is looking. Grace is spiritual power moving in love. Where is grace found? In the eye of the Lord. Spiritual power moving in love is found where the Lord is looking. We so much are trying to get the Lord to look at us. What if we flipped the script and said, Lord, what are you looking at? What are you seeing, Lord? What are you doing? When you look at my life, what do you see? When you look at my future, what do you see? Show me what you see about me. Show me what you see about my future. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. What if he showed you something that you you could never possibly imagine yourself to be? Grace is the spiritual power to accomplish what God, what the, the will of God is found in where God is looking. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. So many, so many of us were just taught to do something and then ask God to bless our mess. Bless it, Lord. Bless it, Lord. Grace is found where he's looking. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I ask him all the time. What are you saying? What are you doing? Constantly. What are you saying? What are you doing? What do you want for this church? And he says, I'm looking at that, Kevin. This is what I want you to look at. Most of the stuff God's looking at seems insignificant to you. It seems meaningless. He's looking at something that doesn't... It just seems like, what? It seems meaningless. But when you begin to operate in what He's looking at, ask God for a vision for your life. Ask Him to see you. Ask Him to look at you. Ask Him to know you. And ask Him to show you a meaningful future. And do what He tells you to do, not what you want to do. It's okay to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is the the whole premise of relationship. If you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't need him. He's going to tell you, and you're going to go, okay, I have no clue how to do that. Where do I start? Where do I start? And he's going to show you starting points. And the starting points will seem insignificant to you. Insignificant. Here's a dream and a destiny. Okay, here's your five spiritual starting points. Begin to read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. What does that have to do with my destiny? It has everything to do with your destiny. It has everything to do with your destiny. Everything. Then he'll tell you different things about yourself. He'll, he'll begin to put you in positions of people, places, and things. He'll take you up angles that seem insignificant to you. All with the goal of getting to this place. I could tell you stories. We're in the process of that right now. Insignificant things that he's told us to do. And I go to him and I'm like, are, are you Are you sure? Are you sure you're telling us to do this? Is this what you want? And he's like, shut up and do it, Kevin. <laughs> Put your hand over your mouth. Stop, stop arguing with me. Go like this, shush, and do what I tell you to do. And so we do it. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. Exodus 33, see, Lord, Moses says, I will do this thing. The Lord says to Moses, I'm going to do what you ask because you have found grace in my eyes. What's going on here? Was it because God looked at Moses and said, there's a dashingly handsome man. I favor him. That's not what's going on here. Moses, God had told Moses what to do. Moses was doing everything that he could possibly do. And now he was out of options. And so God showed him what he was supposed to do. And now Moses, at the point of limitation, turns to the Lord and says, if you don't help us with the next stage, we're out of options. If you don't bring us across that sea, we're out of options. That's what he said, right? And so the Lord says, I will do what you ask me to do because when I look at you, I see you doing the things that I've shown you. Spiritual power, moving in love is available to you because you are doing the thing that I have shown you. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. Lastly, a dream brings you out of hopelessness. If you're ever feeling hopeless, because you have no dream, you have no vision. You have to have a vision. You have to have a vision of a better tomorrow. Job said this, I have no strength to endure because I have no, enc- no goal to encourage me to move on. Goals encourage you. They bring you out of hopelessness. So next week, we're going to talk about um, how to get a dream, how to get a vision. It's one of the things we're going to do. Everybody say starter points. So you guys need to record this or write this down. Because if you want a dream or a vision, I'm going to give it to you. Why don't you say this? The sharpest pen. Or no, say this. The dullest pencil. Is better than the, than the sharpest mind. All right? You should write this stuff down. That's actually one of the principles of a vision is to write it down. Do you want a starter point? I want you to look at your life. I want you to just take a moment, take a create a margin this week. I want you to look at the five key areas of your, of your life. I want you to look at your faith, your relationship with the Lord. I want you to take a look at your family. I want you to take a look at your friendships and your associations. I want you to take a look at your finances. All right? I want you to take a look at your future. And you're going to begin to ask... The Lord, what could be, say it with me, what could be, what, could be. what, should, be, what should be, and what must be. what must be? All right, you want to discover destiny? It's found in those three questions. You want to discover vision? It's found in those three questions. What could be, what should be, what must be? In the must is where the vision lies. In the must is where the compelling lies. So you look at your faith. What must be? I have. I must grow. I must this. I must that. What's happening in our family? Well, this could be. and that probably should be. No, this has got to happen. And then you have a vision to accomplish the very thing that you're driven to make happen or that you're compelled to make happen. These questions catalyze the need for a dream. Hey, well, we're going to take communion here at Elevate, but if you're watching by, by uh, at home, we're so glad you did. And I want to let you know that Jesus has a dream for you. And the dream that he has, if you don't know him, dream number one is that you come to know him. And the Bible says... That if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, you'll be saved. What a gift. God's going to give you a gift. He's going to bring you into a dream. He's going to bring you in the dream that he has for your life. You can be forgiven. You can be made whole. You can be healed. You can be set free and and released into a hopeful future. And you say, how does it happen? It's a prayer away. Every Christian comes to Christ the same way. All of us come the same way. We all come through this prayer. Or some version of this prayer. All of us have to believe in our heart. And confess with your mouths. It's not about intellectual conversion. A lot of people say. Well I believe in Jesus with my mind. You're not saved. You're not born again. To be born again is an experience. To be born again is something that happens in you. That you don't know what happened. It just happened. It's conversion. And so Bible tells us to be be born again in our heart. And so we're going to pray a prayer. The church here is going to pray with us. And I want you at home to pray with us. I came to Jesus when I was a little boy. There was a man just like me, maybe a little different. I don't know. But he was saying, stretch your hand towards the screen and and ask Christ in your heart right now. And I was just this little kid sitting downstairs watching the TV and I stretched my hand towards the screen and I began to ask Jesus to come in my heart. He'll do the same for you. So let's just pray. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I don't understand it all, but I choose to believe it. But I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, hit us up on Messenger. You know, just go and hit it. Send us a message. Put a comment in. We'd love to hear from you. We love you. We bless you. Our faithful Elevate family, we love you and we bless you. Hope to see you soon. And we want you to know that God loves you. We love you. We want you to have a great week. In Jesus' name. Amen.